Hey, Josephina, did you hear about Simona's new fish? She named it Beefcake. Aw, that's so funny. What should we name our two future hotter mascot puppies? Arthur and Ash, Pete and Andre, Martina and Chrissy, maybe? Ooh, some classics. How about Tennis and Ball? Or Med and Bois? <laughs> How about Wimby and Ozzy in honor of our second and third favorite slams? <gasps> Perfect! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravia and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravi and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Heyo, it's March. No, it's not. It's, it's May, May 11th. It's okay. May. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, and it is episode 58. We are back in Rome at the yep. Internazionale Biennale d'Italia. And this is actually the first tournament we're covering for the second time. Which so, is kind of crazy. Yeah, and we have the French Open coming up soon. But the only reason we have this going on is because of that weird stretch last year where we had all those clay tournaments going on in autumn. Mm-hmm. So Did you just say autumn? Sorry. Do you want me to say fall? Yeah. I can autumn make better puns with it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is also the tournament that we think has the best name. We could be pronouncing it totally incorrectly, but like it doesn't really get much better than Internazionale BNL d'Italia. Like name name a better name a better one. Actually Literally. do, let us know. Maybe we're missing one, but it's a pretty awesome name, I would say. Um, but as Josephina said, um the Italian Open, we loved covering it last year. It is, like, the tournament that we, like, a dream of going to in a few years. Um, the courts are so pretty. The grounds are gorgeous. Again, the name is pretty cool. Um, a lot of our favorite players, at least on the ATP side, are from Italy. Um, so we would really enjoy that, for sure. Um, and also, our Italian Open episodes last, well, in, in the fall... We're actually really successful. So yeah, hopefully, kind of like a big jump start for us, actually. Exactly. So we're hopeful that we can bring some of that same energy uh, this time around as well. So jumping into some hot headlines, we have quite a few hot headlines on the WTA side, actually, and some really interesting ones. So the first one is that both Sophia Kennan and Caroline Garcia, um, Sophia Kennan, obviously a current top 10, top 5 player, and Caroline Garcia, former top 10 player, They've both split from their fathers as their coaches, which is a huge step for them. And they both commented on these changes to their coaching teams as well. Yeah, Kenan said, This was not an easy decision for me as we shared many great moments together and had a lot of success. I will be forever grateful for my dad's sacrifice and contributions towards (laughs) getting me to where I am today. I am excited for what the future holds and look forward to putting together a new technical team in the coming weeks ahead. And Garcia is now working with, um, well, that was a quote from Kennan, but Caroline Garcia is now working with Gabriel Urpi, who was also her coach during the Fed Cup and who she's been training with for almost two years or about a year and a half at the Rafa Nadal Academy. So she said, of course, it's a lot of changes, but it's the first time for me like this, different than with my father. But I think it was important for me as a player, but also as a person. So 
I would say it's pretty significant to see, like, I mean, we see a few, like, tight father-player, relate like, coaching relationships, even a few, like, mother-player ones. Like, I know Shapovalov's mom always travels with him and coaches him a bit. Um, Judy Murray used to be with them, with the with the brothers for a while. Um, Kenan was one of them. Sitsipas is one of them. Um, Uncle Tony was obviously with Nadal for a while. So we see a lot of these, like, family member, close family member coaching pairs. And sometimes it works, but sometimes it's also difficult, right? And you see, like, at some point, you know, the split comes. It could be as late in the career as for someone like um, Nadal with Uncle Tony, but it could also be earlier. Like, I think, I believe for Sharapova, it was pretty early. Um, And I think for Kenan, for someone who you know, had such a great year last year and has been having a more difficult season this year. I think it's a kind of maybe a good time to switch things up. Um, similar with Gar- similarly with Garcia, who had a great season a few years ago and is now maybe wanting to switch things up a bit. It's definitely, I imagine, a pretty big change if you're, you know, letting go someone who's been on your coaching team for so long and obviously someone who you're so close with. Yeah, I find it kind of funny that Tony is known universally as Uncle Tony. He's just everybody's uncle now. Um, But yeah, like you were saying, it kind of gives me a little bit of the same energy as I'm moving out. (laughs) Because, like, (laughs) I mean, they are touring with them for Mm -hmm. all this time. They're basically in the same hotel rooms. And obviously, this this is a totally different kind of um, parent-kid bond than like the normal ones that just form at home um because i mean this is also a professional relationship mixed with family so it's definitely got its complications but then again i'm sure both of these splits went totally peacefully they were not big deals at all and obviously they're still gonna have the supports of their now ex-coaches so next we have Simona Halep's fish, as we mentioned in our <laughs> intro skit. Well, yeah, Simona Halep got a fish and she named it Beefcake. So I would we... say this is the most important hot headline. Oh, definitely. I just that's so ironic. <laughs> exactly. That's like, that's like na- getting a pig and naming it sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I see that. No, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, it was definitely a weird choice for a name, but hey. Uh, go for it, I guess. Go, yeah, yeah, go go for it, I guess. I mean, that got us thinking, too. We've been talking about this for a while, but, like, Josephine and I have, and I have this dream. We, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Once we kind of, like, get into college and, like, Hotter continues and we keep up with the podcast. All that stuff, you know, like. Yeah. Um, we have, like... We have we have several different aspirations, but one of them is co-parenting puppies. Two puppies. One of them is going to be an English bulldog, and the other is going to be either a beagle or a golden retriever. Yeah. I love English bulldogs. Josefina likes beagles and golden retrievers. Um, and we were trying to think of names, and, you know, as you probably heard in our intro skit, we had a few initial ideas, but we really like Wimby and Ozzy, you know? Like, the U.S. Open is hands down our favorite Grand Slam. But it's so hard to make names with. Exactly. And also, like, the U.S. Open will always hold a special place in our hearts. Yeah, exactly. It goes unsaid. Yeah. Rowan Garros is just a bit out of the picture. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what's the point of the French Open when they have 50 
like many U.S. O- uh, French Opens leading up to it. Literally, <laughs> they have three Masters leading, three one thousands leading up to it. They're fine. We've got enough clay. Yeah. So we have also Elise Mertens reaching WTA doubles world number one. So we know that she's been working at this for a bit. And she definitely has raised her game on the doubles level and on the singles level. We've seen her become a force, especially last um, last November, December-ish in Ostrava, where she took both titles. So, no. That was another Lynn. That was that was her that was her partner. That was uh, Sabalenka. You know what? It's, it's scratch that. Scratch no, that. She made the final. She, she made, made the, the final. final. She made the final yeah, at one of them. Exactly. She the- so she was doing really well in both, but now she's made doubles world number one. So, what if she has doubles and singles at the same I time? I think sing. I think singles is going to be a bit far of a stretch <laughs> for her at the moment. But I mean, even you don't even need to look as far as like the indoor season to see her success. I mean, she just had that great upset over Simona Halep um, in Madrid, like, last week. And she's been she's been playing pretty solid as usual. So, yeah, it's I would say that the confidence probably translates. Like, if you're doing really well in doubles, that obviously translates to the singles court. And I would say vice versa as well. Um, moving into a couple of ATP hot headlines, Marin Cilic and his wife are expecting their second child. He posted a really adorable photo of his son wearing a Best brother sweatshirt, and the caption read, Baldo's ready for his new role as a big brother, new member joining hashtag Team Chilich later this year. So congratulations to Marin and his family. And then we have some other news regarding the ATP. Roger Federer is coming back next week in Geneva. So, yay, we're big fans, as you might have seen on our um, social medias. Totally not the, um, unbiased. <laughs> totally not unbiased. What? What are you talking about? So, Geneva starts on May 16th, and that will be Roger's debut on Clay this season. And he is playing on home soil, and we know he does really well in this tournament is this the one where um, there's that whole thing about the ball boy being a ball boy when he was i think no i don't think so maybe it's either that or holly i always mix the two of them up yeah me too or basel i don't know either way he has close ties basel never mind yeah yeah he has close ties obviously to home soil and i'm intrigued to see how he does on clay because obviously his eyes are set on wimbledon i mean that's i mean duh for him but, I mean, he still wants to give it a go and get back into the group of things on clay. And I would also say the stakes are lower for him on clay. You know what I mean? Like, he, it's not, like, as much as he's expected to do as well. Um, it's mostly practice, I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> part of this is we're also saying it to kind of ease our expectations, like, lower our expectations a bit. Yeah. Um, to prepare for future sadness. But, uh, well, sadness? actually, no. I hope what? I hope there is no future sadness. Um, but... Either way, it'll be exciting to see him back. So as much as we look forward to covering this week's tournament, we had some last week, starting off with the Matua Madrid Open, the Masters 1000, both on the ATP and WTA side now. Um, on the ATP side, we had Alexander Zverev defeating Matteo Berrettini in the final 6-7-6-4-6-3. This one was definitely painful this for both was of us. A very emotional, us. This was a very emotional past few weeks for me, a couple of weeks for me, mostly happy emotions because, dare I say it, I think Matteo is out of his flop era. 
I think he is. No, yeah, for sure. What do you mean? I mean, yeah. sadly, he couldn't continue his great run to take the title. It was obviously a tight match, but I am so proud. I mean, he had that really amazing 2019 season, that not-so-great 2020 season. Everyone was, was counting him out. Everyone was being like, oh, this guy is like a one-hit wonder, whatever, whatever. And, you know, he even lost in pretty early on in the first tournament of the year, and I think it was like Antalya, and then showed some resurgence in Australia, injured, more sadness, and then out in Monte Carlo round one, well, his first match, and then Belgrade title, and then reaches his first Masters 1000 final. I, like, it was so happy to see. He had some great wins in Madrid versus Foganini, Delbonis, Garvin, and Rude, who, Casper Rude, by the way, was on fire. He has been for the past few weeks. He loves the clay. Um, he defeated Tsitsipas as well in Madrid, who was probably, like, a huge title favorite going into that tournament, and is also in great form. So great for Rude there. And Mateo was, you know really doing great and super proud of him um you know he's really been sort of showing that he can bring it on the clay surface as well and is recovering well from that slump uh Zverev on the other hand I mean I don't really I, I just don't feel like talking about him that much but uh he did defeat Rafael Nadal in straight sets um which was maybe a little bit surprising uh, considering Nadal was coming off of the Barcelona title but Nadal was also not looking in his best form in that match uh, but yeah, I mean, again, as we said, sadly, Matteo couldn't take the title and defeat, um, the abuser, but I would still say that Berrettini had a fantastic run, and it was a great tournament for him. Yeah, and going back to what we've made definitely a consistent topic throughout our episodes, whenever it does come up, we try to bring it up, that every time Alexander Zverev gets more airtime, making more finals and he's only making them because he's allowed to play it's just a painful reminder of the atp's ignorance regarding domestic violence i mean they even they released that video about what was it domestic violence and abuse yeah it was the the madrid opens campaign the campaign and zverev was part of it i mean the irony i literally do not understand how that would even work but um Berrettini did have to play Basilishvili and fellow um bad person <laughs> in his first match in Rome right after this final but thankfully he did win in three sets we will be talking about that later Matteo um thank you <laughs> yes Thank you. Um, on the WTA side, uh, we had Arena Sabalenka defeating Ash Barty in the final 6-love, 3-6-6-4 to take her second title of the year. This was a rematch of the Stuttgart final, which Barty had won in three sets. So I would say that these two always have exciting matches. This is going to be an exciting rivalry to continue to watch on the WTA side as it unfolds because these are two players hugely on the rise over the past year or so, I would say. Um, so... I mean, definitely a tough match there. Ash was, you know, gave her... She's Ash Barty is, like, such a great sportswoman and uh, has is so kind. I would say she was so, you know, she was praising Sabalenka's play and was like... I think she said, like, you kind of just have to tip your hat when someone's playing that well because Sabalenka is on fire. Yeah, and Ashley was our tournament pick going into this one. 
as members of the Bardu party, and we are sad that she lost, but we are so impressed by Arena's Clay performance thus far, and maybe she's looking like a favorite at Roland Garros, because we know that she has already established herself on hard courts, but to see her bringing that into the clay court season is crazy. And Arena actually had something to say about that regarding her new attitude towards clay, saying, I'm not really scared of this surface anymore. Before, I was too much thinking about the clay court, that this is a surface not for me, and that it's really tough to play on this surface. It's long rallies. This year, I relaxed and just play my game. I worked a lot on the movement, so I prepared myself really well for the clay court. So it's great to see that she's kind of definitely preparing herself both physically and mentally here to be getting used to this clay where she can actually succeed as we've seen in this final and in this tournament. She has not reached a Grand Slam quarterfinal yet, so the French Open is looking pretty open for her, especially with this win, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. So while the tournament has already started, we've got the first couple rounds or so uh, over with, and probably by the time this episode is published, a few of those other matches will have been completed as well. But we do want to check in on the early stages of the Internazionale Biennale d'Italia. So satisfying to say. I know. I feel so. I feel so skilled. I'm pretty sure like. (laughs) Anyone who knows any bit of Italian is probably like, she is pronouncing those words so incorrectly. But um, going into the ATP side, we do want to take you through the draws a bit, any notable matches that have happened so far, and kind of who we think um, has a good shot here. So looking at Novak Djokovic's quarter, obviously we've got the top seed Novak Djokovic, the defending champion. He probably has the best chances of making it to the quarterfinals here within this section. Um and probably even to the semifinals. I mean, come on, it's Novak Djokovic. Uh, he's got five titles in Rome, and he's living up to his first seed status so far. He got a pretty dramatic second round victory versus Taylor Fritz as he had a bye um, in the first uh, in the first round. Um, but we're gonna talk about that match in just a bit because that was that was all over social media today. <laughs> And then we have Stefano Tsitsipas, the fifth seed, who is definitely Djokovic's largest rival to get to the semifinals here. He is fresh off of his first Masters 1000 title in Monte Carlo, so he's been proving himself as quite the clay court player, and he said himself, I'm feeling better on court than ever. So he looks extremely confident going into his first round match versus Chilich, who just defeated Bublik. Yeah. And then the other top seed we have there is Matteo Berrettini, the ninth seed. Yay. Um, he. It's nice to be talking about him as a top seed and actually playing a top seed level. Um, but he obviously, as we said, made it to the Madrid finals, took the Belgrade title, lost in the Madrid finals to Zverev. And as we were talked about briefly before, he also took up Basilashvili in the first round, 4 6 6 2 6 4. So that was fantastic. He's playing John Millman next, who can sometimes pull out the upsets, but um, Mateo seems to have a good shot there. And I would say, as out of these three, Mateo is definitely the dark horse of the favorites, but he's been looking really solid. So hopefully he can continue, even despite the quick turnaround from the Madrid final to playing in Rome. 
And now on to the actual dark horses. First up, we have Cameron Norrie, who made the Barcelona quarterfinals, losing to eventual champion Rafael Nadal. And then the next week, he got to the Estoril finals. So he's definitely been proving himself this clay court season. And he actually defeated Carballas Baena in the first round 6-4, 6-4, pretty commanding win. And he will be playing Alejandro Davidovich Fokina next, who is actually the other dark horse. The winner of the Nori Fokina match will play Djokovic, definitely a tough opponent. That is an understatement. And Fokina made Monte Carlo quarterfinals and Estoril semifinals, so also he's been proving himself on the clay this season. And he actually just defeated Grigor Dimitrov in the first round, 6 4 7 6, who, and I believe Dimitrov was the 19th seed. But that's a pretty big win because Dimitrov is definitely not an easy player to beat. Yeah, and Davidovich Fokina also has a habit of, like, falling on the court. Like, for so many, he always falls on court. We saw the same thing happen where he was playing Pierre Hughes-Airbear last week, and he fell, and then Pierre wiped his back. He fell again in his match versus Dimitrov earlier today or the or the day before. So he, I let's just hope he doesn't injure himself too badly. Um... But as we were saying, we have that Djokovic first match, 6-3-7-6, which was quite dramatic. It was a rematch of their Australian Open matchup, which was also quite dramatic. So to give you a quick rundown of what happened, Djokovic was serving for the match at, uh, I believe it was like 5-4 in the second set, and then Taylor broke his serve. And it was drizzling, so then Novak yelled at the Empire. You should watch the video. He said, how much longer do you want to play? Basically complaining about the rain and like saying, like, oh, we should stop playing now, which obviously is convenient for him. Soccer players would never. <laughs> <laughs> so they ended up stopping play for a bit. And then once they came back, Novak ended up winning the second set in the tiebreak. And then afterwards, he apologized to the chair umpire, which is like, basic like human manners to do but everyone was like praising that and I was like why is this something that's <laughs> being praised you shouldn't have yelled at the umpire in the first place so this is just something that we've noticed but we've seen this a lot over the past few months whenever these ATP players argue with umpires like in many cases where it's not maybe as extreme as someone like Benoit Pair. Um, it's often excused by saying that, like, it show much, shows how much the players care about the sport, it shows how passionate they are, it's just, like, their frustration is natural. But then when WTA players do the same, right, it's seen as catty or crazy or annoying or sort of out of order. So, I mean, it's kind of, like, basically what we're saying is that the the men's players' sort of reactions get excused a lot more easily as a show of sort of, athleticism or you know like intense like passion for the sport whereas when the women do it it's seen as like complaining or out of as I said out of order that definitely reflects on the stigma around medical timeouts as well oh yeah we were talking about that a few weeks ago yeah exactly and I'm bringing it back because on the WTA side we discussed it's seen as a manipulative move Mm -hmm. as something to kind of slow down the match distract Mm -hmm. the other players slow down their role and then on the ATP side, it's genuine injuries. Like, oh yeah, remember when Novak Djokovic tore his abdominal muscle in the middle and of the And they came Open? back, yeah. Came back. What a miracle. What a miracle. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's not even possible. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so just that stigma. We're trying to break it down slowly by bringing awareness. So you do that too. Um <laughs> 
So then another, well, not a notable match, but a potential notable match would be a Stefanos versus Djokovic quarterfinal meetup. So this would definitely be a big match because they've both been doing amazing on clay. I mean, Djokovic, that's just proof from over the years, the many years. Stefanos this year. Also, remember their Roland Garros semifinal match? Like, Stefanos had Djokovic on the ropes in mm-hmm. that match. He could have won that. And I would say, like, I would put Stefanos as the favorite should that match happen, just considering his clay court performance so far. I would love to see an upset, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. We're not biased. Us? Never. <laughs> So the next quarter is Team's quarter, where the top seeds are obviously Dominic Team, the fourth seed. Until his semifinal run, though, in Madrid, he was on a losing streak since early March. So, Not only was he on a losing streak, coming into Madrid, he also had a glow up. I will just say that. I'll. Just oh say yeah, it. for sure. He grew up the highlights, man. Yeah, okay, wait, there's, like, definitely people who have found Dominic's team, like, att- like very attractive for so long. The two of us have been, like, like we don't, we uh, never we saw don't it. We it, yeah. We never saw it, and then when the Madrid photos came out, we were, like, uh, wait, wait, wait a second, something has changed here. It was something about that, like, it was the, the hair. The great the outfit, hair. too, man. Uh, the, it was, it was more so the hair. I think people need really? to understand that hair changes can do wonders. Yeah, basically the Prince of Clay needs to get his mojo bag. He is playing Marton Fukcevic, who just had a commanding 6-0-6-2 win versus Nishioka in the first round. And he will be playing Marton in the second round, He, as in Tiam, if that wasn't clear. Because Tiam has a bye in the first round. So he's going to have to bring it. Hopefully he can bring back some of that Madrid energy, both in his playing and other areas as we may have previously discussed. (laughs) (laughs) Another top seed in this quarter is Andre Rublev, who would definitely be a big threat to Dominic Thiem. Um, He made the Monte Carlo semifinals. He didn't have as... He lost to John Isner pretty early on um, in Madrid, which was a sad, sad loss. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he really needs to bring his A game if he wants to even make it to the semis because he would have to probably get through Dominic Thiem and then, you know, we've got Djokovic and Stefanos who would be there in the semifinals. Um, so that would definitely be a tough path for him to get make a deeper run into the semis or the finals in this tournament. He's going to be playing Jan Leonard Struff in the second round. So um, we're going to see how that goes. But I would say that, you know, Rublev, he's still been having a great season. So never count him out. And then we have Roberto Bautista Gut, the 10th seed, who has not been doing too well in the clay season. However, he's is into the second round here in Rome. Uh, here, what's what's the thing Nadal said? Rome, uh, we are... What happened in Monte Carlo happened, um, what happened in Madrid happened, and here we are. Here, we are, in, we Rome. are in Rome. Exactly. And Roberto Bautista Gut defeated Tommy Paul 6-3, 6-4, and the next player he plays is Christian Guerin. So, definitely a tough player to bleat, be, bleat beat on clay. <laughs> Especially on clay because he is a clay specialist, which we will discuss in a second. Josephina, has Christian Guerin got you tongue-tied? Always. 
<laughs> he's another never mind we'll just we'll just say that we've also dumped him into the same category as dominic team and you can connect for now dominic team is a temporary placement okay oh yeah christian garen is probably a permanent placement in that yeah, category yeah for sure um as we know garen is the chilean clay specialist he took the santiago title uh, in Chile earlier this year, and made the Madrid quarterfinals, which were which was a Masters one thousand tournament, and he lost to a a particular uh, Matteo Berrettini. So um, that was a that was a t- that was it's still a very good run. Um, he is just such a tough player to beat on clay, and like I think that he's definitely going to give RBA a challenge because RBA doesn't really like the clay as much. Um, and I'm hopeful that Garin can make a another deep run here at another Masters. And then some notable matches we had were just Lorenzo Sonego defeating Gael Mofi, who was the 14th seed, 6-4-5-7-6-4. So definitely a tough match there between the two. Sibidalina was in the crowd watching that match, which was really nice to see. <laughs> yeah, the, the fiancés, as they are now exactly. known on tour. And exactly. possibly around the world, which is the tour, actually, because the tour is international. I'm rambling, so let's move on to the next quarter, Medvedev's quarter, where the top seeds are Medvedev, the third seed. And we all know how much he loves the clay. Right? He loves it so much. That relationship, wow. Um, so, yeah, Medvedev does not tend to do well on clay, as his results have shown, as in his French Open record, which does not exist. And... He has played only Madrid this year where he lost in the round of 16, which means he only won one match, basically, because he had a first-round bye. Well, he had COVID, too, before that. Oh, yeah. Which, ha- which, which is why he had to pull out of Monte Carlo, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. But um, either way, his clay record is not too great. We don't speak of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't speak of it. Um, so in the second round, he's going to play Oslan Karatsev. Oh god. I titled it here Battle of the Ruskies. Um, so yeah, Medvedev also had a buy in the first round. That's why he's going right into this match. So we don't know how it's going to go. They were supposed to play today, but there was a rain delay. The suspense is kind of killing me. But, I mean, Oslan Karatsev, we'll talk about him in a second, but, I mean, he could really pull through if he needs to. I honestly am putting Karatsev as the favorite in this match. I mean, especially because he yeah, made the Belgrade yeah. finals. Like, he's gotten his footing on clay now, too. Unfortunately, the defending finalist, who we're big fans of, Diego Schwartzman, continues to have a pretty lackluster season so far. It's really sad. He was the eighth seed, lost to Felix Ogielius, he was 6-1, 6-3. This is Felix's only his third top 10 win, which is kind of surprising. Um, His first top 10 win since 2019, which is also surprising. But very happy for Felix. He definitely needs some of these wins to give him that confidence. um, Because he's been having a kind of like a uh, season so far, unfortunately, which we don't like to see because we love Felix. So mixed feelings about this loss, but hoping that FAA can sort of make the best of that momentum. Um, as Josephine was saying, now if we go into the dark horses in this quarter, we have Karatsev, who made the Belgrade Finals, defeated Djokovic in that insane match, and playing with Vadim next. So, in my opinion, as I said, Karatsev's the favorite going into that match. Josephine, would you agree? Yes, I would agree. Just based on, basically, common sense at this point. So, the other dark horse is Felix Auger-Aliassime, and the only reason he is a dark horse is because he's not seeded in this tournament, 
so technically he's a dark horse. So he just played a phenomenal match against Schwartzman in the second round that we were talking about with a great win, 6-1-6-3, against a top 10 player. That's pretty good. Um, and he defeated Filip Krajinovic in the first round before that. Yeah. Um, the only other sort of noble match we had was uh, Riley Opelka defeating Lorenzo Musetti. This is Riley's first win in a while, so it was nice to see him do well, but also very sad to see Musetti go. 6-4-6-4. Uh, six, four, six, four. While we're on the topic of Dominic Team and Christian Guerin, we'll just add that this was also a very easy-on-the-eyes match. <laughs> What a way to put it. What what a poet. <laughs> that's 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 all I'll say. Um, but yes, very nice. For, oh my god! Speaking of Riley Opelka, I don't want to stir the pot or anything. This is just something that was circulating on Twitter. Oh, yeah. was hilarious. Oh a few days ago, I don't know who posted on Instagram, but like someone posted a picture on Instagram of Riley Opelka and drum roll, please. <laughs> Venus Williams together in a museum like walking around they were wearing matching outfits okay but like here's what i'm thinking from that like obviously it was fun in the heat of the moment or whatever but later then opelka posted something about like he's collaborating with some art art stuff yeah so i'm pretty sure it had to do with that Okay, right? Because like, it was a museum. You know what? You guys okay, can fantasize all you want. I'm not yeah. going to ruin it. I'm not going <laughs> to ruin it. I never said anything. Exactly. But, you know, just to sum up this quarter, this is the quarter of Dark Horses. Anyone can make it here. I would love to see a Felix breakthrough or an Opelka breakthrough. That would be definitely very exciting to see. Oh, show. So next up, and finally, we have Nadal's quarter, where the top seeds obviously include Nadal, the second seed, who just won Barcelona, just doing his King of the Clay things all around, you know. What, just like it's hard? Pfft. What do you mean? This is easy for him. So he had a bye in the first round, and he plays Yannick Sinner in the second <laughs> round. <laughs> a little painful. I but. mean, if you think back to last year's French Open... Yannick was really the only player who had Nadal on the ropes. Yeah. In the quarterfinals, true. right? Was it the quarter? Yeah, I think it was the quarterfinals that yes, he played. Yes, because in the round of 16, he it was Korda. Sebastian Korda. Yeah. So, he Yannick had Nadal on the ropes in that first set. Um, but, I don't know. I'm hoping for something exciting here. Um, in terms of the other top seed in this section, we have Alexander Zverev. I'll keep this brief. Um, obviously, he has some confidence coming from the Madrid title. He's playing Hugo Delian in the second round since he got a bye. Um, I mean, he seems to have the, a good, pretty, you know, solid chance of making it to the quarterfinals and uh, probably is the greatest threat to Nadal into this section since obviously he just beat him in Madrid. Um, but we know Rafa, he comes in with a new mindset and um, kind of bounce back well after Monte Carlo to take Barcelona. Champion so, mentality. Exactly. So maybe we'll see a similar bounce back here. So for Dark Horses, we have Dennis Shapovalov, who is seated in the section, the 13th seed. But, I mean, I don't know what to expect with this guy this season. I really don't know what's going on. He has not been doing too well since the hair switch. Um, he, <laughs> he defeated... He won his first round match versus a qualifier, uh, 6-1, 6-3, like yay but also like yeah we're like kind of scrapping for things to be happy about as Chapo <laughs> fans he's gonna be playing Stefano Travaglia in round two obviously home favorite so um we'll, we'll see how Dennis does I'm not getting my hopes up because 
remember that match versus Diego Schwartz when at Rome last year where oh, Dennis wow. literally could have won? Or yes. the match versus Carbias Bayena at the French Open, which lives in my head literally rent-free because he, he was so close to winning that match. Or the um, match against Pablo Carreño Pusa at the, at US, the US, Open. US Open. There's so many. We could go on and on. Even yeah. versus Lloyd Harris in, like, what was it, Dubai? There's so many. I could keep going. But <laughs> we never know what to expect with this guy. So then we have Yannick Sinner, who has definitely been having some unlucky draws lately. This kid is playing... Doll in the second round. Oof. And he defeated Ugo Umber 6-2-6-4. Actually a really good win because Umber has been on his game lately. So then, finally, we have Kei Shikori. We are so rooting for this guy. He is back Who on isn't tour. rooting for this guy? Like, if you're Literally. not rooting for Nishikori, I think you shouldn't be allowed to follow the sport of tennis. Yes. Agreed. So, K is a king, and into the round of 16, he defeated Fabio Fognini in the first round, actually. 6-3, 6-4, so, uh, wow. So, we're definitely looking forward to Zvera's defeat in the round of 16 at the hands of K Nishikori. Heck yeah. So now we have the WTA side where we have first up Ashley Barty's quarter. Barty party. Um, so top seeds, obviously, Ashley Barty, the first seed. As we've talked about all season, Ash is looking in near perfect form. She could be facing a potentially challenging round of 16 versus either Karen Garcia <laughs> <laughs> or Kutin Ritova. So, I mean, I think she still, can get through she's, that, Yeah, she's looking a-okay. Yeah, I'm. We're we're all we're part of the Barty party, um, as always, as you said. The next top seed we've got, well, not really in order of seeding, but kind of like in the order of the draw, uh, is Maria Sakari, the seventeenth seed. She's also someone who's been having a great season. You know, obviously that great run, um, in Miami. Um, she's been doing okay on the clay. Um, she is facing Coco Golf in the next round, though, which could be difficult. Um, that could, that's probably gonna be a very physical match, too, since both of them kind of tend to play long, like, three-set matches, um, so that'll be a tough one, but Maria Sakura is always someone to look out for, again, because she, um, is so, you know, is so good at playing those longer matches and grinding it out and, um, really challenging her opponents physically. And then we have Arena Arena Sabalenka, the seventh seed, who is definitely going in as a huge title favorite after her win in Madrid. And, I mean, it's definitely interesting that Barty and Sabalenka got bunched in this, to the same quarter here. Yeah. Definitely an interesting quarterfinal that we might have here. So, I mean, yeah. look forward to that. I would imagine if the pandemic, if the ranking system was were normal, I feel like Sabalenka would be ranked a lot higher, I would say. I mean, she's playing, like, top four, top three level. Yeah, top so five. <laughs> we probably least. wouldn't even have, like, this situation of them being in the same quarter if the ranking system was normal. So then we have our dark horses. First up, Coco Goff. And as we said, she is facing Maria Sakari. So this will be a tough match for the both of them. We're not really sure who's going to get through here. They're both quite... Not unpredictable, but just players that, especially in this match, it could go either way. Yeah, and I would hope whoever comes out of that match is going to continue that momentum. Um, 
And another dark horse that we have looming here is the queen herself, Sarah Cerebus Torbo. Um, so let's 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 unpack her round one. Uh, was it round one or round two? It was round one, I think. Her round one match, yeah, it was round one um, mm-hmm. versus Camila Giorgi, um, which was a three hour and fifty one minute match. That was the lo- set the record for the longest match of the year. It defeated the previous record set by the Djokovic Karatsev match and the Sitsipas and Dahl matches a few weeks ago. So I think it's pretty awesome that we got a WTA match to take that spot of longest match of the year. Um, and it was not only was it long, it was dramatic. I mean, Cerebus Tarmo and Camilla Giorgi have the most polar opposite playing styles you could ever imagine. We know Cerebus Tarmo as, you know, <laughs> the pusher. Uh, there's really no other way to push it. Georgie is someone who hits uh, quite, she hits big, and if you take a look at her unforced errors numbers in any match and her winner's numbers, they're both probably going to be pretty high. Um, but, you know, what made this even more dramatic was Georgie was actually up for love in the third set, but then SST ended up winning the whole thing, seven six six seven seven five, And what's even like crazier about this one is that Georgie's father who is known for having a ton of antics um, while watching his daughter's matches and is her coach too was apparently getting really mad um, and was making the chair umpire feel comfortable so the chair umpire had to call someone to sit in the audience near Georgie's father because she felt so threatened by him so I mean that's another just another example of like the continued disrespect we've been seeing towards like um, umpires and you know officials on court these past few months and it's it's really appalling the way that's kind of the epitome of our hot headlines though because it has the father daughter coaching thing and also the umpire disrespect so yeah also cerebus tormo is playing arena sabalenka next and if you go back to their what what did they where dubai their dubai match or was it their ostrava match it was one of those two tournaments they played dubai i think it was yeah i think it was this year um and uh cerebus tormo was actually up um was she up four love? She she had a she was up four love or so. It was a very similar situation to this Georgie match where she was up maybe four love in the second set, um, and then Sabalenka fought back to win that second set and then bageled Cerebus Tormo in the third set. So that was also another roller coaster match, and Cerebus Tormo was coming off of one too. So if she's not too worn out from that nearly four hour first round match, I would be so excited to see some more um, some more crazy tennis from these two. So now we have Sophia Kennan's quarter, top seed Sophia Kennan, the fourth seed. She is back. She had appendicitis earlier this year, so not as great of a season as last year so far. She's definitely been fighting back from that and her surgery. And obviously, she is defending her French Open finalist points going into Paris in a few weeks. This tournament is hopefully going to give her some insight into where her her game is at right now especially some insight to us we'd like some as well (laughs) and like we were saying earlier she just broke up with her father as a coach it's not you it's me um (laughs) (laughs) and she does have a difficult draw as we're going to get into this 
quarter is quite stacked. Yeah, this quarter is really stacked. Um, next, we have Iga Swiatek, who, as we know, has been doing pretty solid this season, as with Kennen. Um, Clay's season will be a test to see how she's able to defend her Roland Garros points. And Iga's playing Madison Keys next, which isn't easy. Um, she just defeated her good friend Sloane Stevens, who got a lucky loser spot um, in the first round. Um, so if Iga's able to get through that, though, we could see a potential Swiatek Kennen round of 16, which would be obviously a rematch of last year's French Open final. And I would be really interested to see that. Um, only, of course, hopefully, if Kennen is back in some of her better form. And then we have Garbine Muguruza, the 12th seed, who actually pulled out of Madrid last week, or kind of two weeks ago, kind of ish. Um, but still, an amazing season so far. She likes the clay, as we have seen before, and she could definitely make it here if she gets through Svitolina. She'd pose a tough challenge for Sviatik or Kennen in the quarters, whoever makes it. And we could definitely see Muguruza getting to the semifinals here in Rome, considering how well she has been playing. Because we were just talking about how she has the best record this mm-hmm. year so far. So we hope that she can continue that. Yeah, the, the other person we've got as a top seed in this draw is Alina Svitolina, um, who's been having a pretty up-and-down season this year, an early-round exit in Madrid a couple of weeks ago. She had a good run in Stuttgart, <laughs> though. Beyonce's. I mean, it's just it's just very up-and-down with her. So, like, as with every tournament this year, we're always, like, unclear as to how she'll do. She has a pretty tough draw because she's going to be playing Amanda and Isimova next and then probably Muguruza. I personally don't see Svitolina making it through this section, but I always seem to lack faith in her, like in Miami. I completely counted her out and then she made a pretty decent run um so we'll see just I would just put a big fat question mark so now we have our dark horses first off Madison Keys who had who just had a tough three-set win versus Sloan Stevens her fellow American um so this is definitely a difficult match for her it might cause some like tiredness going into the next round but either way um, this is a good win for her because she's been having a pretty rocky season. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely something that can help her mentality. The fact mm-hmm. that she got through this three-setter and into the next round is definitely going to help her mentality. And she faces Iga Sviatek next, so she's going to need some of that confidence. Yeah. The other dark horse we've got here is another American, Amanda Nisimova. She's also making her way back following a rough start to the season. She had that great Roland Garros run a couple of years ago, and I think she will be a tough matchup for Svitolina, uh, depending on which Alina and which Amanda decide to come out to play. <laughs> um, but I would love to see Anisimova have a, a nice run at a tournament because I think it's about time. She did show some really great signs in that match versus Andrescu in Miami. I was watching that, and that was really entertaining, and they were both playing so well. So hopefully Anisimova um, can bring that versus Svitolina as well. Um, but going into our next quarter, we've got Simona Halep's quarter. So Simona Halep as a third seed. Um, not, like, I mean, considering that she's, you know, we talk about her as, like, one of the best clay court players 
um, on the WTA side. She probably maybe hasn't been having as great results as we'd expect her. I mean, she did get to the Stuttgart semifinals, but then lost in the Madrid round of 16, which is pretty early considering she had a bye. And she's a defending finalist too, so she does have a good amount of points to defend. Um, and again, this is someone who kind of like Svetlina, I have question marks about because this is obviously her favorite surface, but her results this year haven't been particularly stellar. I mean, maybe beef cake will serve as a good luck charm. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so then we have Karolina Pliskova, the ninth seed. She is also the defending champion. Uh, nice (laughs) she's not surprising yeah exactly because she's not looking in that great of form this season and she's also playing Sevastova next who is known to pull off quite the few upsets and also could possibly face Fitova in the round of 16 also tough at least she doesn't have Pagula in her section of the draw I think (laughs) then Carolina would just be like yep I'm done I'm not playing in this tournament and then we have Petra Kvitova, the 11th seed, and also possibly the favorite in this section of the quarter. She made it to the quarterfinals in Stuttgart and Madrid, and when she's on a roll, she is on a roll. So definitely someone to count on here, considering Simona Halep and Pliskova's very inconsistent season mm-hmm. so far. She's the only one that's been showing up with the results. Yeah. As far as dark horses go, there's a few sort of, like, throwback players in here. I can't believe I'm calling Yelena Ostapenko a throwback player, but really just because she had that, you know, great, like, blip of a few months a few years ago. <laughs> um, you never know what to expect from Ostapenko. She just beat Joanna Conta today, who's also not really been playing that great. And as we know, French Open champ from a few years ago, so... You never know with Ostapenko, but I mean, she also can, once she gets fired up and I think um, is in tune with her server, you know, how big she goes for the lines, I think that she can be a very tough player. Um, so she's lurking there. And then Angelique Kerber, who was, I believe, my personal favorite to win in Stuttgart a few weeks ago because um, she obviously, you know, was playing so well in 2016 and 2017 and since then has kind of lost that rhythm, it seems. Um, but hopeful that she can make a good run here. She does face Simona Halep next, which feels like a very vintage, like, 2010s uh, WTA matchup, which Shrubia, is honestly kind of nice. The 2010s were two years ago. Okay, well, early two... I don't know. Okay, fine. It's it's vintage, <laughs> it's vintage for me. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> so, um, could she pull off the upset? I... I'm inclined to say no, but I also would be, that would be very nice for Kerber to make a nice run here. Then, and finally, I believe, we have Osaka's Mm. quarter. Top seeds, Naomi Osaka, the second seed, as we know. Not the most comfortable on clay, considering, what did she say? She hadn't played in three years? Two years. Two years on clay. Um, Yeah, so low expectations for Naomi, unfortunately. She had an early exit in Madrid versus Muhova. But she faces Jessica Pagula next, which is always tough. And Jennifer Brady and Alexandrova loom for the round of 16. Definitely a tough draw. So it will be hard to make for her to make it to the semifinals here because, like we said, Clay is not her best surface. Or even the quarters. Surface. 
yeah, exactly. Clay is not her best service, and this is a pretty tough draw for someone who's not that comfortable on this surface. Yeah, I'm just hopeful that Naomi can kind of, you know, get enough footing here so that she has confidence going into Roland Garros. We know that Naomi has her eyes on these bigger tournaments. Um, but And meanwhile, she's focusing on making show-stopping bikinis. <laughs> yeah, she's got that on-the-court and off-the-court balance going on. But obviously, we love to see her do well on the court obviously that is her primary um goal as well so i would just say that like hopefully she can get enough confidence going into the french open um and match play would be nice so that she feels you know good on the court there now serena williams is also in this quarter the eighth seed the goat is back this is you know her first match in three months we're super excited to see her clay debut we've been seeing a few sneak peeks on like patrick Muratoglu's instagram of her practices and all that um in her first match she's going to be playing roland garros semifinalist nadia podoroska which should be interesting but to be honest serena has a pretty nice draw up until the quarterfinals where she'd play um probably either jennifer brady or naomi osaka but i would definitely you know I think Serena could have a nice run here, even to the semis. I think she is probably the favorite in this quarter, especially since people like Osaka and Brady are not very comfortable on clay. Yeah, and like you were saying, Jennifer Brady, the 13th seed, also not a clay court lover, lover, but maybe we'll see a breakthrough here, hopefully. Again, totally not biased. (laughs) Wink, wink. We haven't been seeing such great results from her since the Australian Open, so it's definitely unclear as to how deep of a run she'll have here and if she'll even pose a challenge for Naomi Osaka. So she does face a tough match versus Alexandrova in the first round, though. So we'll see if she even makes it through the first test. Yeah, and speaking of Alexandrova, she is one of our dark horses in this quarter. She's always a dark horse because she often comes into these tournaments just off the seeding mark. Um, She reached the Stuttgart quarterfinals. um, So it's all about whether or not she can keep her big game control on the clay. Um, You know, obviously when playing Jennifer Brady, that's another big hitter. So um, it'll be sort of a, a battle of that. But um, I would say that Alexandrova definitely has a shot in that match. And then should she play Naomi, um, if Naomi's able to get past Pagula, um, that could also be a challenge for Osaka. Um, then the other dark horse is Podoroska. I would say it's a big if, if she can beat Serena. Um, but if she does do that, she could really sneak her way through that portion of the draw because Martic and Mladenovic are the other two in that section. And, you know, that pretty much, in my opinion, leaves the path pretty much open for Podoroska to make the quarters or if Serena wins to make the quarters. That's why I was saying I think Serena is definitely looking as the favorite in this half of this quarter, but also in this quarter as a whole. So I'm really hopeful for a, a deep Serena run at this tournament. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of tournaments this week, and of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions, and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released on next Wednesday, where we recap the action in Rome and update you on the tournaments to come. 
And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.